Hello, and welcome to Business Talk, brought to you by Business West and Living Local. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS, and I'd like to introduce your host of Business Talk. He's editor and associate publisher of Business West. Here is George O'Brien. Okay, hello everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local. Uh, we have a terrific show for you today. Uh, a return guest, one of our favorites, State Senator Eric Lesser. How are you today, Eric? I'm good. Thanks for having me, George. Uh, always a pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we have some news uh, to talk about today. Well, we'll kind of tease it like one of those network news shows. Um, <laughs> Eric Lesser announced his bid for Lieutenant Governor. We'll put that later in the show to, to keep the viewers or the listeners on through the whole show. But anyway, uh, but we will get to that. Uh, that's very exciting news. And I, I do want to talk to you about that at length. But uh, as always, we have uh, a lot to talk about, though. And um, I guess I want to start with um, this being another year, uh, still another year. More talk about uh, high-speed rail and the prospects for bringing that to the state. You're at the forefront of those efforts, obviously. Um, tell us where we're at with this and whether this might be the year we get to to see this become not reality. No one's running that rail anytime soon, but at least we start down that track. Yeah, well, uh, well, thanks, George. Thanks for having me. And, and hi to, to Chris, uh, Chris Kellogg and the whole team and everyone at Business West who puts this together. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is a very critical year for rail for a couple reasons. Uh, first, we were all on pins and needles waiting for the Biden infrastructure bill to be passed. And thanks to the good work of you know our federal delegation, in particular, uh, Congressman Neal and Congressman McGovern, uh, we were able to get that Biden infrastructure bill to include record funding, both for Amtrak uh, and also new funding for intercity uh, rail service, of which Springfield, Boston, Worcester uh, would certainly uh, be uh, a contender for. Um, that funding, that intercity rail funding piece is more than $60 billion in the federal package. And then in addition to that, the Amtrak funding represents more funding for Amtrak than in their entire more than 50-year history. So this is a very uh, big deal uh, and um, is a game changer for our ability to get the project done. The next step here is really actually for the state. And, and this is part of why I'm running uh, for Lieutenant Governor George, because the federal piece is now in place in the sense that a federal infrastructure bill has been secured and there are pots of money available to help pay for the rail link. The, the limiting factor right now, frankly, is the state's ability to be a champion for this project and to go out and get the money. The legislature has done its part uh, approving and supporting this initiative for many years and many sessions. The federal government has now put this infrastructure bill on the table thanks to the good work of McGovern and Neal. Uh, and we are now waiting for the governor uh, and waiting for MassDOT. And I got to say, you know, MassDOT and uh, the Baker administration have not been great fans of this project. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think that's a secret to anyone who's followed this. And just one example, uh, and we, we, you know, I don't want to go too long on it, but it's important for people to see the moving pieces. Uh, one big uh, example of this was the ridership estimates that they did on the use of the Springfield-Boston link once it's up and running. It turns out that when they did that ridership analysis, the state transportation planners left out Hartford. 
meaning they just assumed that the only people that would be using the train would be people that live in Massachusetts. We all know, obviously, anybody who lives in the Metro Springfield area understands that uh, we're very linked to Hartford and to Connecticut uh, and to Enfield and Windsor and mm-hmm. all the communities just to our south. Uh, and so when you include the Metro Hartford area in the ridership analysis, the estimates shoot up 54%. Uh, and so mm-hmm. Pioneer Valley Planning Commission and the Hartford Council of Governments did this analysis on their own that showed this. And we need MassDOT to uh, update their numbers with that new ridership estimate so that we can put the best application possible forward to the federal government to get the funding. And, you know, if I'm Lieutenant Governor or when I'm Lieutenant Governor, I'm going to I'm going to really focus on this uh, and focus state government on this and be a partner for our next governor in, in helping get this done. Well, we'll talk about uh, your run for lieutenant governor uh, in a little bit again. Uh, what what do we do this year while this governor is still in office, while this lieutenant governor is still in office, while this administration is, still has the reins? We, we can't wait till there's an administration change, or can we? Well, we're, we're not going to take no for an answer. I mean, what we need is we need MassDOT to update those ridership estimates. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, we can advocate, we can push, we can try to change the underlying law in the legislature, but we do need MassDOT to update that ridership analysis. And for people who are listening to this, you know, and members of the business community, leaders in the in the Pioneer Valley, Western Mass area, we need their voice and we need their partnership and calling on MassDOT and specifically the governor to have MassDOT uh, update those ridership numbers. I'm assuming the competition for these federal dollars is immense it's and that there are a lot of a lot of states and individual communities, regions that have projects that are, I guess the phrase is shovel ready uh, in the development term, but they have projects that are ready to go. Our project is nowhere near ready to go. So we don't have much more time to lose on this. Is that my correct in saying? Well, I don't, I don't know if I agree that the project is nowhere near ready to go. I mean, there is, there is uh, already a rail link. Uh, there's an Amtrak Lakeshore Limited that rides, that runs between uh, Boston and Chicago, actually. Uh, so there, and it goes through Worcester, Palmer, uh, Springfield, uh, through Pittsfield onto Albany, and then ultimately to Chicago. So there is a link uh, and there is a train going back and forth, which is different than other proposals that are out there. Uh, For example, Las Vegas, uh, Los Angeles, which is a high profile one uh, that would also be in the running for some of these uh, these funds. Uh, But you're absolutely right, George. There's intense national competition, which is why it's even more important that we've got, uh, you know, a strong uh, state application, because I just mentioned, you know, uh, Los Angeles, Las Vegas is a link that's talked about. Milwaukee, Chicago is a a link that's talked about. Uh, There's potentially going to be an application from Arizona for two. Tucson, Phoenix. Uh, there's, uh, there's, um, uh, there have been other uh, other states that have talked about partnering uh, for other similar links. Uh, so there will be intense competition. The the way that the kind of big dig happened for Boston 30 years ago uh, was that you really had seamless coordination between the federal delegation, Ted Kennedy, Joe Moakley, and those leaders, uh, uh, Tip O'Neill, and uh, the state. You had Governor Dukakis and Fred Salvucci, who was at the time his Secretary of Transportation, really all rowing in the same direction on the project. So, you know, I'm there's obviously a lot of moving pieces, but one of the most important 
is strong state leadership. Part of the reason that the Worcester-Boston link got done 10 years ago, just as an example, is that Deval Patrick and Tim Murray, who was the former mayor of Worcester, who was the lieutenant governor at the time, really focused on making that link a reality. So that that is an impediment right now that we've got to overcome. Interesting. I do not have talked about this uh, before to some extent or another. How does the pandemic change the equation or does it change the equation when it comes to the need for high-speed rail? Uh, we, we know that there's changing dynamics in the workplace. We know that remote work is going to become part of the dynamic moving forward. Well, to what extent, we don't know. We don't know how that's going to change cities like New York and Boston you know, we put this on the drawing board with the theory that this would be a way for people to live in this part of the state and work in Boston. Now they can live in this part of the state, work in Boston, but not have to get to Boston. Uh, how does it change the equation or do you think it does? Well, the, this is a, a set of questions, George, that obviously are, are somewhat unknown because we're, we're living through a, a really unprecedented period of uncertainty about what work will look like, what living patterns and commuting patterns are going to look like over the long term. But there are starting to be some some trends that that are becoming clear now that we're in year three of, of COVID. Uh, one of the things that we've been doing in the Commission on the Future of Work that I co-chair is asking this exact question. Uh, and something that's becoming increasingly clear is that there are going to be a set of jobs. And by the way, the majority of jobs right now cannot be remote. Uh, blue collar jobs, manufacturing, construction jobs, service sector jobs, you know, uh, you know, obviously have to be done in person. And we've all seen that uh, even at the height of COVID. There are also a growing category of jobs that are a relatively small section percentage of the overall workforce, but is a growing and it's growing fast percentage of the workforce that's 100% remote. Uh, again, it's a small subset, but it, it is a growing subset. And then there's going to be this sort of category of jobs that are more flexible and, and you know, hybrid, for lack of a better term, on how to describe it. And uh, those jobs, uh, it's becoming increasingly clear that the trend or the, the long sort of tradition of shorter regularly scheduled five-day-a-week commuting is going to become less and less common or, 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 or uh, less and less widespread in exchange for longer distance, more purposefully driven um, travel to achieve certain functions. So you could see an example of somebody living in Springfield or living in Northampton or Westfield or wherever in Western Mass maybe a day a week or a couple of times a month, they have to go to a meeting in Boston, they have to go to a meeting in New York, they have to go to a meeting in California, uh, but are otherwise able to do their day-to-day -day work and do their data to, to produce their day-to-day -day work product from their house or from a co-working space or from a, a local location. Um, and that is going to be a big boost to intercity rail because it was probably unlikely that you were going to have huge numbers of people do a five-day-a-week commute from Western Mass to Boston, um, even with a very fast train, because uh, it's just a grind and it's far. Uh, but uh, the idea that you know a day or two a week, uh, you can take the train into Boston for the meetings you've got to get done uh, or the other business you've got to conduct, you can do email and calls all the way there, all the way back. And then the rest of the time you have no commute uh, and you can live in a house that's much bigger with a much higher quality of life and lower cost of living. That I do think is a trend that you're going to see expand a lot. 
And, okay. and by the way, George, I mean the, the housing, you know, anecdotally, the housing price data is showing this that the the communities that have seen the fast, the biggest spikes in interest in terms of real estate uh, are these communities that are farther away than the sort of tra- most the traditional closest in uh, uh, neighborhoods, uh, but are still close enough to allow for this sort of hybrid work model. Stay with the future of work uh, committee for a minute. Uh, I assume you've been meeting probably not too long. What? What has been the tone and the tenor of those meetings thus far? Yeah, so we, we've been meeting for a while, actually. We, we started last spring in June, uh, and we actually had our, our final meeting in terms of taking testimony last month. Uh, and actually, next week, we're going to be meeting as a commission to begin to prepare and write our report. Uh, it's a 17-member commission. Uh, a portion is appointed by the governor, a portion appointed by the attorney general, and a portion appointed by the House and the Senate. Uh, it's chaired by myself and Josh Cutler, who's a state representative representative from the South Shore uh, and is the chair of the House's Labor uh, and Workforce Committee. And the goal of the commission, you've got members from the business sector, nonprofit sector, uh, academics, uh, work workplace advocates, uh, organized labor. We incl- we have a couple Western Mass folks on the commission, including Harry Dumay, who's the president of Elms College, who was one mm-hmm. of the people I appointed. But the, the goal of this commission is to look 30,000 feet, it's high level by design, and ask this question about what is work and what is the experience of workers going to be looking like in Massachusetts over the next two to five to 10 years? And what do we need to be preparing for as a state uh, to, uh, in terms of policy response? So when you have hybrid work, what does that mean for train schedules? What does that mean for public transit? We have an entire public transit infrastructure that's designed to get a whole bunch of people into a downtown by 9am and get a whole bunch of them out at 5pm. Uh, how does that change when people's work days look very differently? What do you do about work? Worker benefits when you have diffuse workforces, quote unquote, gig workers, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, Airbnb hosts. Currently, they don't get unemployment insurance. They often don't get health insurance. Uh, how do you how do you make that fair and sustainable for people? Things like uh, privacy, disability rights. Uh, there, there's a, there's a lot of questions. Uh, there you would have to go pretty far back in American history, I think, to find a period of time where more has changed as rapidly. Uh, in just a year or two's time uh, as it has now. And, and that that's really the idea of the commission. And we're going to be ma- issuing a set of recommendations for the state, uh, both for the legislature and for the governor's administration in terms of um, what we need to be thinking about for all those questions. Okay. You're listening to Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local. We're talking to Eric Lesser, state senator from Long Meadow. Uh, I guess now we'll get to that news that we teased earlier, uh, hoping to be Lieutenant Governor of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Uh, when did you reach uh, this decision and what were the factors that went into it? Uh, well, I announced last week. So we're about a week in. I announced last Tuesday. I'm um, looking at my calendar here. It was January 4th, Tuesday morning. Uh, we've gotten an incredible response so far. We've heard from hundreds of people all over the state, uh, and we've uh, we've we've gotten really, really tremendous support. Um, the bottom line is, is that um, the reason I'm running for lieutenant governor is 
you know, first to be a partner to our next governor. Uh, I feel very strongly that we need a Democratic governor at the end of 2022 and that we will elect a Democratic governor. And I intend to do everything I can to make sure that that happens uh, and to be a partner for uh, for that governor when once she takes office. And the um, in terms of what I bring to the table is a lot of the things we've just been talking about, George, and that we've talked about on previous podcasts. Uh, I'm the parent of three young kids. I live in Western Mass, far away. Uh, from the kind of decision-making that happens on Beacon Hill. And my feeling is, and I think a lot of people probably feel this way, that Massachusetts is a, a great place to live. We're very proud of Massachusetts and all of the progressive accomplishments we have, uh, but it's getting harder and harder to live here. It's too expensive. You know, Housing is skyrocketing. We have a situation in our state that's not really good for anyone. In the Metro Boston area and in the areas that have benefited from the tech and life sciences booms, You've got out-of-control housing prices. You've got really, really terrible transportation and traffic that people can't move around. It's just an unaffordable to live. And in Western Mass, on the South Coast, in our gateway cities, in the Merrimack Valley, in parts of the Cape, you actually have the inverse challenge. You've got a great quality of life. You've got a comparatively lower cost of living, but you have an economy that's forcing people to leave or to look elsewhere. Uh, and so we've got to invest in these big issues, rail service, you know, housing reform and zoning reform. We've got to close the wait lists at our Vogue schools. I mean, the stuff, George, you and I have talked about for seven, eight years at this point you know, right. is really going to be the center of what I work on and what I want to prioritize uh, as lieutenant governor. And, and, and rail is going to be a big part of it. So, All right. uh, Explain to the listeners exactly how this works. This is not like a presidential election. This is not a ticket between a governor and a lieutenant governor. They run separately. You have different groups of people running for different offices to kind of explain how that works and then uh, get into the specific challenges that might be facing a Western Mass candidate. We, we have had one in recent history, Jane Swift, but we have not had many. Uh, and there are Definitely more challenges to someone running for statewide office from Western Mass. Uh, I believe there's only been two governors that have been from this part of the state as well. Foster Furcolo and uh, Governor Ely back in the 1930s. So um, <laughs> it's been a while. So uh, talk about this race and, and, and what it'll look like. Yeah, so it is it is a little it is different uh, than the federal uh, than the federal kind of president vice president model. So there is often sometimes some confusion. Uh, historically, uh, the governor and the lieutenant governor have run independently for the nomination on the Democratic side. That has not always been the case, uh, but that has been the recent uh, the recent trend in, in recent history. Um, and then after the primary election, uh, the, the, they're joined uh, on the same ballot line for the general election. So it's uh, it's it's an independent uh, vote, separate lines on the primary ballot, and then a combined uh, ticket on the in the general election. You know, as far as you know, operationally where we're where we're at. Um, you know, I think there's some self-evident uh, 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 limitations to being running from Western Mass that we are all aware of. Uh, the four counties of Western Mass, Hamden, Hampshire, you know, Berkshire, and Franklin, uh, are combined about 12% of the total uh, population of the state. Uh, so it's not necessarily a, a, a big population base to run from. But I do think... Uh, you know, I've represented now for eight years a, a very uh, diverse area in every sense that is a microcosm of the state. You know, I, I represent some of the densest urban neighborhoods in Massachusetts and some of the most rural. Uh, I represent uh, some of the wealthiest parts of the state and some of the lowest income. Um, you know, I have Westover Air Reserve Base in my district and Mass Mutual. Uh, and so, 
Part of this is also about just getting out uh, to the other corners of the Commonwealth and telling our story about, you know, what we offer. Um, and we are going to have a very good team. Uh, we, you know, just from our first email we sent out last week, uh, we've gotten responses from every corner of the state. Uh, we've got uh, people in place uh, committing to organize, to volunteer, to knock on doors, to host house parties in more than 60 cities and towns in every geographic part of the state already one week in. Um, and if people are interested in joining or helping, they can check out my website, ericlesser.com. People can make a donation, which can help us get started. Uh, they can sign up to volunteer. They can sign up to join us at the convention in June. Um, so there'll be a lot of, a lot of ways to, to help. And your former boss, President Obama, he's signed on to work your campaign already. <laughs> well, well, well there'll, there'll be news on that uh, in the in the coming uh, in the coming months. But uh, he's been he's been very encouraging of my career, uh, you know, from the very start. And I, and I got my start working for him, and he's been very encouraging. Keep it at that. <laughs> okay, so it's going to be a really busy year for you. Um, so you, you legislated to add a few more hours to the day, I assume. So you can do absolutely. All we're going to do that daylight savings legislation. <laughs> How many more hours can you tack on so we can all get more? <laughs> well, good luck to you uh, in that endeavor and everything else. We'll, we'll have to have you back on in a few months, uh, kind of update everyone on where we're going with, with rail uh, and everything else. So again, good luck with your campaign. Thank you for coming on today. We appreciate uh, every time you give us the time. Always, hey. We always learn a lot. Thanks, George. Take care. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Thank Chris. you. Bye-bye. And thank you to all of you for listening. This has been another episode of Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Mobile. I'm George O'Brien. We'll see you next time.